The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is February 2nd right now, Groundhog Day. Um, you guys don't have Groundhog Day, right? No, I don't think we have Groundhogs. <laughs> true. You have kidnaps. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I think that he saw his shadow, which means six more weeks or more weeks of winter, which is, I feel like we haven't even had a winter. Like, it's been cold. Mild. But it it hasn't snowed, like, at all. We had, like, a little dusting here and there. But they were saying even it's, like, a record for how long we haven't had snow into winter so far. It, like, broke some old record because it's been so lame and boring. And now mm-hmm. I was telling you tomorrow night, like, the wind chill is going to get down to negative 10. It's going to be so cold. I can't even imagine that cold. I've been once when I was younger, I went to Russia at Christmas time and it was like minus 15 Celsius, but I feel like that's still not even that cold. It was freezing for me, but yeah, I can't even imagine that freezing cold. Yeah, it's not fun. Definitely Mm. we'll be staying inside. It is funny because we are the actual total opposites at the moment because it's so hot here. It's like 9.30 in the morning on Friday here and it's so hot. I'm actually recording in the dark because I'm like, turn off the lights. It's just too hot to have any any source of like heat or light or warmth or anything like that. So very, yeah. very hot, hot and sticky. It's like been 90% humidity here constantly. It's oppressive. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Only one, yeah, because our, our, I think we've mentioned before that our, our seasons kind of end and start on different dates. So ours go by the calendar month. So we've essentially got one more month of summer left and that's it. So I'm trying to not, you know, to just enjoy it and go with the heat. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's global warming, I guess, because there's no snow anymore. And then the summers here, even though I'm pretty much in the northern U.S. and New York. Like, it still gets so friggin' hot here where it's, like, unbearable. Not Australia unbearable. But still, I'm like, I live in the north. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's not meant to be like that. (laughs) It doesn't feel like it, though. Um, For anyone who listened to our last episode, I talked a bit about a local scandal that was ongoing. Don't have any other updates yet. So if anybody's been, been wondering what's going on. (laughs) <laughs> haven't haven't heard anything else. Maybe by the time this comes out, there'll be something. But yeah, yeah. Still, I feel like sometimes they kind of sweep those type of things under the rug. They just kind of don't publicize it because it's too abrasive for some people sometimes. Yeah. Well, the school, I guess, sent out an email saying like that she's been fired from her position and that the police were investigating and that was all that the school could legally say, basically. So, mm. but I've been checking like, inmate rosters and all that because i'm like i want to know if this girl's getting arrested or what (laughs) nothing no so i don't know i'll keep everyone posted but nothing nothing new at that so this episode will come out a little bit before valentine's day um it's never really been a major holiday for me i mean i don't know i've just i've never been one of those girls that like expect some like big thing for valentine's day yeah, it's never really been a thing for me. Like, I think my husband sent me flowers once about a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> like early on. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not really a thing here. Like, and especially when it's midweek, I'm like, and I like, I feel like Valentine's for me is a bit like New Year's Eve. I'm like, the worst day of the year, one of the worst days to go out for dinner. Like, why would you want to go somewhere where everywhere's packed, everywhere's double the price? Um, yeah. I would rather go the night before when it's quiet and no one's there. <laughs> yeah, it's I f- it's like on a Tuesday or Wednesday or something this year, I think, right? Yeah, I think it's um, on a yeah Tuesday, I think. Yeah. Usually, Mike will get me like flowers and then we'll get each other like a little card and then we usually just get each other like a candy that we like because it still is like – because there's Christmas and then his birthday is the end of January and then it's like another holiday <laughs> all in a row and I'm like I'm sick of it like I don't we don't need to do any more gifts just get me like a little chocolate a little treat and I'm good yeah I feel like that's the best present anyway some chocolate <laughs> yeah definitely um we did go out to dinner one Valentine's Day because I think we were just like eh, let's just like go somewhere and we went to this like nice restaurant 
that's down the street from me and it had like a fixed like yeah. special menu it was so every expensive. place has that for valentine's day you get your three courses for yeah five million dollars <laughs> yeah and it was so expensive it was good though but i was like eh, not doing that again peep like now i told you she was resting her head on the table now peep is resting her arm as well on the table <laughs> and she's trying to bite the microphone wire she really wants to insert herself <laughs> ma'am you are being rude we're we're double recording today so i'll sound happy and chipper in this episode and then next step <laughs> next week's episode maybe i'll sound a little tired no i'm just kidding some energy short of something to get 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 you through i had a coke zero so hopefully that's enough i'm um, drinking a coke zero right now oh my god i love coke zero mm, me too if i had a coffee it's way too late i'd be like off the rails yeah um but yes, yeah, so Olivia is going away as she normally does. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like I was talking to someone the other day and I'm like, this is a year where it's just, I've just said yes to everything. Usually I'm like, oh no, it's too hard, you know, but now I'm just like, do you know what? This is, I, I think I've said it before. It's my 40th birthday this year. So I'm like, do you know what? I'm just going to do whatever and then have a crazy year and then calm down <laughs> next year. So for the next few months, there's a lot. And I've mentioned that we're going to Japan in April and then on Thursday next week, um, I am going to New Zealand just for a long weekend with my husband. We're going to see our friend for her 40th birthday over there. So that should be exciting. How far is that from you? It's a three-hour flight, so it's not very far. It's quicker for me to go to New Zealand from where I live than it is for me to go to the other side of Australia. (laughs) So I guess it's kind of like for you going to Florida or something instead of going to LA, for example. Yeah, Florida's like three hours maybe LA is like six so it's an easy flight hopefully fingers crossed no delays because we really only have like we get there Thursday afternoon and we leave six o'clock Monday morning so it's Mm. a very quick trip but it should be good I'm looking forward to it yeah hopefully you have good weather good food yeah, well, I think we're, we're going to Wellington, which the weather there is a little bit unpredictable. I said to my friend, you'll have to let me know what clothes to bring. And she's like, just wait till closer to the time <laughs> because yeah. one day it could be, you know, 80 or 90 degrees Fahrenheit. The next day it could be 50. So it might be a packing challenge. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I have no idea what New Zealand is like besides what I've seen on Lord of the Rings because I think that's where <laughs> they filmed it. I'm pretty sure they did in the South Island. So this, we're only going to the North Island. The South mm. Island I've been only to once and it's beautiful. Like it's the most – when you fly into Queenstown Airport, it's like uh, – like you're like, is this actually real? It's like a movie set. You know, you're flying over the mountains and everything. It's stunning. And most – like there are parts of New Zealand um, that are amazing as well. Like some parts of the North Island are absolutely beautiful too. You'll have to send me some pics. So I can yeah, I will. It'll be exciting. I can't wait. I'm actually – traveling no not really I'm going (laughs) on Saturday I'm driving an hour away to our wedding venue because I'm doing a tasting of some of the the dinner options and the hors d'oeuvres and stuff so is it like a sit a sit down dinner I don't know I had to pick three like of the dinner entrees for your actual wedding like so like you know sometimes they just do like cocktail and canapes and whatever it's gonna be like the regular cocktail hour with the hors d'oeuvres and stuff and then doing a seated dinner well that'll be nice instead of like a buffet so i had to pick three entrees to try and like four or five hors d'oeuvres to try so that'll be so nice i'll send you pics i love (laughs) doing that for my wedding forever ago now but i remember that was the best and when i used to work in my previous job we would organize massive events so my favorite thing (laughs) was going to the tasting because we'd have an event for you know 500 people so we'd have to go and try everything that was a great job (laughs) yeah i'm sure i was we were looking at the menus and trying to decide what to pick because there's like a bunch of options and fancy things and I'm like I don't even know what half this stuff is because it's like fancy (laughs) (laughs) it's the best that'll be so nice yeah send photos of everything I will because you're you're the food queen so you'll be able to know (laughs) have you organized the cake yet no even though I've always talked about how I love cakes but so the venue they we're gonna do like the dessert option that they have so they have a big list and you pick like three different desserts that'll be available or something but to do a cake you have to do it separately so I'm debating on if I want to get like a big cake for like everyone or if I want to just do like a little cake just for like the cake cutting yeah but no that's that's on my list I ordered (sighs) the invitations today um I picked the bridesmaid dress color which is like a teal color 
And that's the latest I've done. My sister like texted me the other day and she was like, did you do this yet? And did you do this yet? And this? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, you have to. <laughs> I remember after our wedding, um, it's so much planning. And I remember afterwards, I read I read an article and it was about how when women finish their wedding and get married, it's kind of like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, You've got all this spare time because it takes up so much time with all the planning. It's, it's, um, I'm like a good planner. But I feel like so lost doing this because with my sister's bachelorette party and like any trips we go on, like I plan everything. I make like charts. I'm like so good at it. And with this, I'm just like, I don't even know where to start really because it's just so many different things. And I'm like, like, you don't know like the layout of the venue exactly and like what decorations you want to put where. So it's just like, I don't even know. I just feel like I'm I'm just doing my best. (laughs) Maybe when you go this weekend and have another look at the venue, you might have more of an idea about the kind of setup and things like that. Yeah. Like I've been there a few times, but still just like, all right, like if how many, I have to figure out how many like tables I actually want. And then I'm like, where am I going to put the things for the place settings? Like what kind of sign do I want for that? And if I want to do a little memorial type tale for people who passed away, like where's that going to go? And where's this going to go? And what do I need for these things? So many things to think about. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm dragging myself through it. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be amazing. I keep telling myself the only way out is through. (laughs) and i'm like bitch get it done (laughs) because now i've only got like six less than six months yeah time's flying by jesus (laughs) um all right so enough about us for now we'll get into the episode today we are gonna talk about some piece of shit dads or deadly dads as we title the episode usually um i think we did have we done two or is this the second one? Well, I know we did the Matthew Coleman one. I feel like it could possibly be the second one. Definitely second or third either. Yeah. So we've done this series a few times because there's there's lots to talk about. Every every so often there's, there's new shitty dads to talk about. Um, and then we also do, of course, the, the moms who murder and the kids who murder as well so it's not just the dads who get the heat before anyone gets upset (laughs) I feel like sometimes too maybe it's just kind of because we're looking out for it more but I feel like these kind of crimes seem to happen in spurts like these three that we're going to talk about today happened in a very short period of time um I don't know it just some I think it might just be because you are kind of aware of that type of crime and you notice it when you see an article about it but yeah it's interesting how they seem to kind of come in waves the same we've spoken about with mass shootings as well seem to somehow happen like that. There might be none for a little while and then all of a sudden there'll be three or four. So, I wonder if it's also just like how the news reports on yeah, things, like yeah. when they're like, oh, one happened and people are, are interested in it and this one happened, so we'll talk about this one too. It's a bit like those two shootings that happened in California recently that had some similarities, the Lunar New Year shooting in Monterey Park and then the other one mm-hmm. that happened I think in Half Moon Bay within a few days. I think you know sometimes – there is more reporting just because they know that it's essentially a, you know, for lack of a better term, a hot topic for media to cover. So that yeah. might be why we see it a little bit more when those type of things happen. Yeah. Those ones are so similar and close together that people thought they were the same one, like when we yeah. posted about them. They're like, I thought he died. I'm like, no, that was the other one. No, that's the, that's the different one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about today the Patel family that was the guy who drove the Tesla off the cliff, which was a big fiasco of a rescue. The Hate family, um, they were from Utah that we posted about. And the Creighton family, there's not a ton of info out about the Creighton family, but the guy was like a actor who was in some... Yeah, seems like a semi well-known actor. Like when I saw his photo, I feel like like I've definitely seen him in things before. He wasn't a you know, a lead role actor, it seems, but he'd been in a lot of things that you might have heard of. So, yeah. So we'll talk about those three and then we'll talk about some general thoughts and stats as usual. And that's that. That's the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the first one we'll start off with is the Patel family. So the father in question is Darmish Patel. 
He is a 41-year-old California man. He was working as a radiologist in Providence Holy Cross Medical Center in Mission Hills, Pasadena. He lived in a house on Lome Close with his wife, Nea, and their two children, a seven-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. So Darmish graduated from Wayne State University School of Medicine in Michigan and had been practicing medicine for more than a decade. They bought their house, we believe, in 2015 for $1.09 million. It looks like there's photos on Zillow, which I've put on the blog. It's just a nice three-bedroom, three-bathroom kind of residential. I can't believe it's worth a million dollars, though, <laughs> unless those pictures are, like, old. Well, did you see what it's worth now? One one point seven. So that's, you know. That's I'd love to estimate. see what it looks like now because it looks really outdated, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm assuming they've probably done some renovations to it. But it just looks like it's nothing, absolutely nothing fancy, just kind of a suburban, you know, nice house. Yeah. Who am I to judge? I don't even have a house. (laughs) So since 2017, police were called to the Patel home nine times. These calls were in response to reports of suspicious people in in their area and alerts of burglary. The alarming calls from the family were reported as either false alerts or canceled by the officials, where two instances of the reporting the suspicious people were called as gone on arrival. So It just seemed uh, like a lot of calls, nine calls in just, say, five years. That seems like a lot. That all ended up being basically right. nothing is what it seems yeah, like? Or? Yeah. And yeah, it very weird. And says it was called to the house. It wasn't called to the area or the neighborhood or the street or whatever. It was called to the house. So I don't know. I, you know, obviously it seems like nothing came of these, but it does seem like that's a lot of calls for, you know, if I, if that was happening to me twice a year, I would be moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know what that could mean. Maybe like mm. paranoia or something or. Yeah, it could know. be. So neighbors in the area said the couple seemed friendly. Darmish would give cookies to people on the street and Neha created a group chat for all the neighbors to keep in touch. This past Christmas, Darmish gifted his neighbors with a poinsettia plant poisonous to cats so make sure they don't have cats um the family also sent out christmas cards with personalized photos the card wish their neighbors a merry christmas and happy new year from the patels written in script at the bottom so inside the patel home a christmas tree still stands decorated with ornaments an easel for the children is mounted in the corner of one room still blank outside the home a stroller sits under the eaves they had a doormat with a tree on it that read Love Fall most of all. So it seems like a very nice, quiet family from all outward appearances. Mm-hmm. Neha did have a Facebook that has since been taken down. Um, this info about what was on it is from Oregon Live, my favorite state to say. <laughs> Um, It says one photo shows their son's first birthday fiesta and another post she complained of her husband's reaction to a proposal on the reality TV show The Bachelor, which I wish I knew what it was because I love The Bachelor. Well, it's The Bachelorette, actually. (laughs) Same thing, basically. (laughs) Yeah. I really wish I knew which one it was and what the comment (laughs) was. Um, And I guess some friends commented on that post saying, like, that's so Darmy and love Darmy. I guess that was his nickname. So in late December, the Patel family traveled to Northern California. We're not entirely sure why. Um, a lot of things just say that that is that they went for the holidays. One report from the Independent said that they were visiting parents, but regardless, they were in Northern California. So on January second, twenty twenty-three, the California Highway Patrol were called to a notorious stretch of roadway known as the Devil's Slide. So. Not a great nickname. No, very, uh, yeah, ironic based on what happened. Ominous. Um, so the release that they issued said, on Monday, January 2nd, 2023, at approximately 10.50 a.m., officers assigned to the California Highway Patrol San Francisco area office were dispatched to a call of a vehicle over the cliffside on SR1. Officers and additional emergency personnel arrived at the scene and observed the vehicle, a white Tesla, approximately 250 to 300 feet down the cliff. Emergency personnel rappelled down to the vehicle and located four occupants, two adults and two juveniles, within the vehicle. The occupants were rescued from the vehicle and transported to a local hospital with serious injuries. 
Um, Highway Patrol investigators work throughout the night interviewing witnesses and gathering evidence from the scene. Based on the evidence collected, investigators developed the probable cause to believe this incident was an intentional act. The driver of the Tesla, Darmish A. Patel of Pasadena, California, has been placed under arrest for attempted murder and child abuse. There's been no determination as to what driving mode the Tesla was in. However, that doesn't appear to be a contributing factor in this incident. Mr. Patel is being treated for his injuries and will be booked into San Mateo County Jail upon his release from the hospital. And just says the investigation's ongoing. Any witnesses are asked to contact them, etc. A daring rescue caught on camera in California after a car carrying two adults and two children flew off a cliff and plunged into the jagged rocks below, just missing the Pacific Ocean, sending onlookers into shock. I could see in my rearview mirror just the car being, you know, straight like this, and then all of a sudden just disappeared down. Authorities now saying there's probable cause to believe the crash was an intentional act, arresting the driver for attempted murder and child abuse. San Mateo County and state officials saying the car fell 250 feet, just a turn off of California's coastal Route 1. Robin Johnson called 911. Did not think for one second anyone was surviving that. But they did, saved by the timing of low tide and California Highway Patrol's incredible crew, like flight officer and paramedic Sean Bouye. Are the victims lucky that they didn't fall into the water? During high tide, this would have been underwater, this location. In fact, where they landed was still wet from the previous tide that I The area, called Devil Slide, known for its scenic views and sharp drop-off. Cal Fire San Mateo firefighters repelling down the cliff first. The damage to the vehicle would indicate that it hit and then flipped. It landed mostly on wheels. So we immediately went put a plan in place to lower rescuers down to the vehicle to get eyes and assess what we had. Then helicopters called in. Bouye hoisted a firefighter down to the stranded people. As we got even closer, we were told that the firefighters had rescued two little children and that the adults still needed to be rescued, but they were trapped in the car. Just to elaborate on the Tesla driving mode, because Teslas, they can auto-drive themselves. So people are wondering, like, was this a Tesla fuck-up? Was it in um, self-driving mode and drove them off a cliff? But... From whatever evidence they had at the time, they're saying that doesn't really matter. So the Tesla flipped several times before landing on its wheels and became wedged against the cliff a few meters from the raging ocean currents, according to Brian Pottinger, who was a battalion chief for the fire department that was there. Well, there's pictures on the blog, and I'll I'll probably have used already a clip of the news talking about the rescue. But this is a scary cliff. Like, in the car was so far down. The car's totally, totally destroyed. I'm stunned that they all lived and weren't even, like, horribly injured. Yeah, um, like, when you see photos of the car, when I would think, God, there is no way anyone could survive those injuries. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. they had to helicopter the people up and down to even get down there. And I saw one video today I was watching, and – the ocean's very close and like the rocks around the car are wet. And he said that it was low tide then, but if it was high tide, the, the car would have been in, in the water, which is really scary. It's like my nightmare of cars and water and oceans. Ugh. It's just so crazy to me that sometimes it's just the perfect storm of, situ- of circumstances. And in this case, they landed it in the right place. Like if they had have landed in the water, they probably would have died. Like it's just crazy that, you know, they managed to somehow survive after going down a cliff landing in just the right spot it was yeah and landing upright yeah on the wheels yeah um but and then in the same video that i was watching the i think it was one of the officers that was there was talking about it and he said that other people have driven off that cliff and every single other time this happened the people are dead yeah i don't know if that's like a total fact but that's what he said so One report said a witness saw the Tesla veer off the road suddenly, continuing through the dirt and off the cliff. Using an H-30 helicopter, rescue specialists rappelled to the crash site several hours later where they found the... Several hours later, damn. Where they found the four family members conscious and alert in the car. The two children were suffering from musculoskeletal injuries and were pulled out of the back window and rappelled back to the chopper with a winch. 
Just to kind of interrupt for one second, I was actually looking this morning before we recorded to see if there were any updates. And one update, so that that says that the children were injured. One update I saw today is that the little boy actually had no injuries. He was totally unscathed. Like I'm assuming maybe, you know, bumps and bruises and things like that. But in terms of actual injuries that required a long hospitalization, he had nothing. And the little girl was also in a car seat, like a child seat. Um, and she had a few more injuries, but both of them, their actual injuries ended up being quite minor. And I believe at this time, the wife is the only one still left in hospital. So about mm. a month after. Yeah. Um, yeah. I heard that the kids were like pretty much fine. Yeah. So Darmish and Neha had more serious traumatic injuries and had to be hoisted up to the chopper. To the chopper, the four family members were then transferred to San- Stanford Life Flight. Wait, I said that wrong. The four family members were then transferred by Stanford Life Flight helicopter, where their condition was listed as critical. Mister Pottinger, the fire battalion guy <laughs> that I mentioned before said said in a video statement posted to Twitter we go there all the time for cars over the cliff and they never live this was an absolute miracle I guess that was the the thing that I saw um, weather was not believed to be a factor in the crash and there was no guardrail at the spot where the vehicle left the road according to investigators which seems like there should probably be a guardrail yeah um, at Devil's Slide <laughs> At the time of recording, investigators have not released a possible motive for the crash, so we don't know anything about that yet. Darmish's workplace, Providence Holy Cross Medical Center, said, We are extremely grateful there were no serious injuries. We will not respond further as this incident is under investigation. So one of their neighbors, Roger Newmark, said in an interview, they're a beautiful, idyllic family, no indication of issues. It's so strange because he is a great guy. Maybe it was just a moment of insanity. Um, Another neighbor said, really, I can't believe it. No one can believe it. They felt like newlyweds. The way they interacted and look at each other, it just felt like they should be together. The Drive Tesla California Twitter account stated that the two children were unharmed in the crash, adding, if you want to keep your family safe, buy a Tesla. And Elon Musk replied, good news. <laughs> um, good ad for Tesla, I guess. Yeah, that very, they all very lived. So in late January 2023, it was announced that prosecutors were investigating any possible mechanical issues with the car. District Attorney Steve Wagstaff said, did the brakes fail? Were the brakes working? Were there any other mechanical malfunctions that would have led to him not being able to stop the vehicle? We're having the car looked at from top to bottom. And then on Monday, January 30th, which was just a couple days ago, it was announced that Darmish had been released from the hospital and taken to jail. He he was charged with three counts of attempted murder, and two of those counts have domestic violence and great bodily harm enhancements. According to San Mateo County District Attorney Steve Wagstaff, evidence shows that there are no signs of braking or skid marks before Darmish drove the car over the cliff. He also says there are cameras near the tunnels that show the Tesla coming out of the tunnel and going off the cliff. So we also, it hasn't come out exactly what made them believe that this was intentional. Straight away, Um, yeah. Yeah, and it just started coming out now that Neha, the wife, she was conscious after the crash and she told paramedics that Darmish had caused the crash on purpose and her actual words to them were apparently he intentionally tried to kill us. Um, So his arraignment is currently scheduled for February 9th where maybe we'll find out more. But as far as we know, she he must have said something to her or something before the crash that made her think about i would guess or i wonder if they were fighting and he was like screw this and i don't know like that's yeah. just obviously a scenario um yeah i will be interested to see what comes out too yeah definitely um imagine being in that car like when they said it took them hours to get to them to rescue them imagine being in the car with him after he's just tried to kill you and your whole family for hours i know that's uh-huh. why like and they were conscious they yeah. said even yeah. though they were pretty it must be so scary, like just waiting. Yeah, I'm assuming they. I don't know. Maybe they could have called for help. I don't know what happened, but how well, long I know it actually that took them to realize that someone was coming to help them. The person who called nine one one was someone else driving on the road that saw them go over the cliff. So okay. at least that happened quick. quickly, and it wasn't like depending on if they could find their phones and somehow call. Because 
imagine if no one saw the car go over the cliff, no one would probably even know unless yeah. unless one of them – it's not like Dharma's just going to call if he tried to do it on purpose. You do hear of some other cases where someone goes missing and they are found in their car off a cliff just because no one has seen them do it. So mm-hmm. you know, they were very lucky that someone was in the same area at the same time. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully we'll get more info about that one soon. I know it was a case that a lot of people are following in because before people knew it was intentional. I don't think people knew at the time the rescue was happening. No, because I guess she would have been the one to say it. But it was like a big rescue that a lot of people were watching and following because it was just such a crazy rescue for everyone involved. So, And then people found out it was on purpose. So they were like, what the fuck? Yeah, a very... (laughs) It is a crazy story. That's like a movie story, really. Mm-hmm. So the next case we're going to talk about is the murder-suicide of the Hate family. This one was from January this year as well, January 4th, 2023. Concerns friend of the Hate family who lived in, in Enoch in Utah entered their house at 4923 North Albert Drive. Inside, they found the bodies of the eight family members. So Michael Haight was 42. He was found dead along with his wife, Torsha, who's 40, Torsha's mother, Gail, who was 78, and the couple's children, Macy, who was 17, Briley, who was 12, Sienna, 7, Amon, who was 7, and Gavin, who was 4. A community in complete sadness. The Haights were my neighbors. And disbelief. The youngest children played in my yard with my sons. Even the mayor of Enoch is grasping to comprehend how an entire family in their close-knit community, active in church, known to everyone around them, is gone. This is a, a tremendous blow to many, many families. Enoch City believes the husband and father, Michael Haight, shot and killed his wife, Tasha, mother-in-law, Gail Earl, and his five kids, a 17-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl, seven-year-old twins, boy and girl, and four-year-old boy, before he died by suicide. People had seen the family just the night before on Tuesday. The daughter and the mother were at a church activity the night before. But on Wednesday... Someone uh, with whom Tasha had an appointment yesterday morning called and reported that she had missed the appointment and requested a law enforcement conduct a welfare check. A few hours later, the city says Cedar City police received a missing persons report about Michael from his office in Cedar City. They would then find out Tasha filed for divorce two weeks ago. An urgent check on their house led to the grisly discovery. So the city manager, Rob Dotson, said evidence suggests that the suspect, as in Michael, took his own life after killing the seven others in the home. He also said many of us have served them in the church, in the community, and gone to school with these individuals. The community at this time is hurting. They're feeling loss, they're feeling pain, and they have a lot of questions. So we know that the night before the bodies were discovered, Tasha and the two, two of one of her daughters, sorry, was seen at a church function in the city. So they were alive the night before. Tasha had been scheduled to meet up with someone on the morning of January 4. And when she didn't show up, that person called police for a welfare check. It's kind of a little bit blurry, the actual process to these bodies being discovered because there was welfare checks. And then someone also put a missing persons call in for Michael. But I think that police starting to kind of look into the process of making the welfare check when the neighbours entered the house and found the bodies. Um, Michael's car had been found parked at his parents' residence in Cedar City. So Michael and Tosha had been married for over 20 years. We know that on December 21, 2022, so just literally, you know, 10 days or so before the murders, Tosha did file for divorce from Michael. On August 27, 2020, so backtracking a little bit, police have said that they responded to the house after allegations that Michael allegedly assaulted Macy, who was the oldest daughter. The allegations also included, quote, a lot of yelling and emotional abuse. In the police report, Macy spoke about three instances of alleged physical abuse from her dad. She also said that Michael would talk about how lazy and stupid Torsh is, and he would take Torsh's phone in an attempt to keep her from leaving the house. The report says she stated there have been several times over the last few years that her father, Michael, has become assaultive with her. Um, And Macy said that the first assault was around three years prior when she was, you know, 11 or around that age. The report says her father became angry at her and grabbed her by the shoulders. He shook her and her head banged into a wooden piece along the back of the couch. She stated that she was terrified he was going to hurt her. And she stated that she didn't suffer, though, from any injury, but she was scared. 
There was also another incident two years before the 2020 report where Michael allegedly grabbed Macy around the neck and choked her while they're in the pantry of the family's kitchen. The report says she stated that she was very afraid he was going to keep her from breathing and kill her. I asked her if she actually lost breath and she stated that she did not. She stated that he did not choke her. I found it interesting when I was reading these kind of reports and notes that basically a lot of the anger is directed at Macy. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot directed at the other children, um, which yeah. I found quite an interesting point. I guess, you know, Macy was the oldest and, you know. The others but, were probably too young, I guess. To- yeah. So there was a third incident in the summer of 2020, which happened in the garage of their house after they returned from a camping trip. It says, Macy stated that her father became angry with her and grabbed her by the shoulders and shook her. Um, Michael denied though, but he and he also said he never shook her by the shoulders, he never grabbed her neck, and he also said he never belittled his wife. He did tell the police that he does lose his temper and yell at the kids. He stated that if he'd indeed done these things, it was not meant to be an assault, but he said that Macy is mouthy and he gets angry at her. At the time of the police report in 2020, Michael told police he had a tough year with his father's death and that his brother was in the midst of a divorce. I had a look and I found the father's obituary online. I'm pretty sure from what I've read too, the father did take his own life. So there was a lot going on Mm. in 2020. Interesting. Yeah. He also said that he believed Torsha and his soon-to-be ex-sister-in-law had been talking and saying mean things about the mother and sister. That was the, why apparently he took her phone away. He also admitted to taking her iPad to work with him for several days to look at her texts and messages. This is the wife, right? Yeah, so he took the wife's iPad to work because he thought the wife was kind of bitching about him behind his back while his brother, you know, to the soon-to-be ex-sister-in-law. It sounds a bit confusing, but basically Michael's brother was getting divorced and Torsha sounds like she was friends with the soon-to-be ex-wife. So, yeah, but he's also just spying on his adult wife being a controlling freak yeah and then Tosha kept asking him where the ipad was and he kept denying taking it but he eventually said he quote slipped it back where it'd be found in the house so the officer kind of closed the report and wrote i advised michael that his behavior was very close to assaultive i advised him that i did not intend to charge him with any crime i talked to him about the importance of macy continuing to speak with a therapist and i asked him not to interfere with that I also advised him that he should continue seeing someone about his anger and I would rather be having this conversation with him instead of talking to him in jail. So the final kind of note in the report is that Torsha indicated she is in hopes for this case to be a wake-up call for Michael. She does not believe that criminal charges will be appropriate at this time. After the news about this came out, I have read some interesting comments online. Obviously, we can't verify it because it's just a social media comment, but I thought it was quite interesting because it does kind of run along the same lines as the reported behavior from the police report. I'll just read a little bit from it. It's on the blog if you want to read the whole thing, but it says, he was a two-faced abusive monster. My brother and sister-in-law were good friends with them for years. Um... And Torsha had actually missed an appointment on the morning that she died with the Women's Crisis Centre. She was in the process of finally working to get herself and the kids away from him. My brother said he was controlling, manipulative and mentally abusive for years. He would demand she would have dinner on the table ready as soon as he got home. No one was allowed to eat until he took the first bite. If she was preparing dinner, he would call and say he wanted something else and she had to start over. Once he was late coming home and when he got home, the kids were eating, he threw the food all over the floor and made her start dinner again. He controlled her friendships and what she could could not do. He controlled access to her money, gave her a small allowance for bills and and to pay for the kids. He had hit her before and would choke her until she passed out. My brother said his biggest fear is now he'll get off with people thinking he was a good guy who somehow snapped or had a mental illness. He was not. He was a deceiver and a monster. He played the role of a good upstanding church guy but would go home and abuse his family. He's like he's like so evil and unhinged that's like a villain from a movie or something. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, I can't even imagine how. If, if that's true, obviously we might not ever know, but it sounds like it very well could be based on, um, you know, police reports and kind of it seems like a repeated pattern of behavior all of it's crazy but no one's allowed to eat until he took the first bite like ugh, i know what a what, douche i know especially with tiny little kids that's just well, any, with anyone anyway but yeah just ridiculous hmm. 
All right. So Torsha's family did issue a statement and they said basically that Michael had removed all guns from the house prior to this incident. The whole statement is online. It's quite long, but it says, we would caution media outlets and the public at large about using our family's story for the advocacy of any political agendas. Protective arms were purposely removed from the home prior to this incident because all adults were properly trained to protect human life. This is the type of loss that will continue to occur in families, communities, and this nation when protective arms are no longer accessible. It is our desire that the media turn to their attention to the weightier matters surrounding these events. We would encourage reporting about the value of human life, the great works of God, and it kind of goes on. So it sounds like that the guns had been taken from the house before this all happened. In late January, so just a few days ago, the search warrant for the hate home was unsealed. It's believed that Macy had told a friend that Michael was acting strange. It says we were also told one of the daughters texted a friend stating her dad had come home, was acting strange, and she was worried. Police took multiple phones from the home to kind of examine, including one from Macy's bedside table. They also found another phone near Macy's bed, and multiple phones and tablets were located in the master bathroom. Sorry. A phone that was lying next to Michael was also taken. It is probable that these devices will contain evidence as to the timeline of when the homicide took place. It is also probable that will be evidence of domestic violence-related crimes. Police also did take a 40 caliber gun from the home. It had four rounds in it. On Friday, January 13, Torsha was buried along with her mother and children. There's a f- some sad photos of all the kind of caskets all lined up together. It's just such an enormous loss for that family. Um, Over 800 people attended the services and some members of Torsha's family spoke. Brett Earl, who I believe is maybe her brother, said, nothing meant more to mum and Torsha than family. There's a story of two families hurt and broken through unthinkable tragedy. However, only a tender, merciful and loving Heavenly Father and God can take this tragedy that has touched us so deeply and reach deep inside of us and turn it into a miracle of healing, growth and progression. So not really surprising, Michael was not buried with the rest of the family. I'm assuming that Torsha's family did the obituaries and the kind of services for her and the kids and the mother. Um, Michael's services, I have read, were private. There was an obituary taken down, uh, sorry, obituary posted for him that was taken down very quickly, which I'm actually not surprised about. It, You know, like we asked a question about what people thought about it at the time. I'll read a little bit. Of it. You can read the whole thing on the blog. It's very long. But basically, it's just a glowing obituary for this guy. Um, it talks and it's about, so long. It's so long. It's like an essay. Like, what a fucking choice that was. I'll just pick out kind of the key points. Because the first paragraph kind of goes into where he was born, things he did when he was growing up. It says he excelled in all he did. Then it talks about amazing he, person. <laughs> he went on a mission to Brazil. He loved the pe- He loved the people he met. He had many fond memories. And then eventually it goes into him at meeting Torsha. So I'll read out this bit. It says, During this time he met Torsha early in their student ward. They were married in St. George Temple on May 10, 20, uh, 2003. They brought Macy, Briley, Ammon, Sienna, and Gavin into their family. Each of these kids was a treasured miracle in their eyes. Michael made it a, time, made it a point to spend time with each of his kids individually. He cherished the time spent with the family. He spent a lot of his Saturdays and nights coaching the kids' city league sports teams, going to the school kids' concerts, riding side by side, working on home repair projects, blah, blah, blah. And it says, Michael gave back throughout his life. He was ready to assist with anything, whether it was helping in the church or the community. And then there, I have read, I feel like this is kind of an interesting way to, you know, almost finish it off. It says, in order to have more time with his family, he recently liquidated his business. Um, hmm. I wonder if that was true. I wonder if there were financial issues. But essentially, once that was released, I'm assuming that Torsha's family absolutely did not give approval for that to be released. Um, it was taken down super quickly. Um, there are caches of it. We've got the screenshots on the blog, so you can read the whole thing. Um, it's like how tone deaf do you have to be? I get it. Like when I'm sure it was like his parents or family that wrote it. But it's like, come on, he just murdered a bunch of people, like his whole family, children. Like I get as a family, they're grieving too. They probably want to remember the good times. Do it privately. Like I just feel like that's so obnoxious and so tone deaf for someone who literally murdered his whole entire family plus another, like their grandmother. Yeah, like we don't need – It's unnecessary. It's, you know, do it privately if you want to remember him that way. There is absolutely – it's just almost like, hey, look look at this. Look at how great he was forgetting every single thing that he did yeah like i don't care that he used to play like little league or whatever none of us care (laughs) 
So that is it for the hate family. We might learn some more once police examine their devices. They seem to have been very open with this case and have released a lot of details, which they don't often in murder suicides, especially in Utah murder suicides. They're very closed about those type of things usually. But in this case, for some reason, there's been a lot of information. So we'll keep you updated if we do learn any more about, you know, I'm assuming the motive for this was the divorce and he knew that Tosha was in the process of leaving probably financial as well. It sounds like if his business was in liquidation. Um, yeah. And he yeah. seems like an abusive piece of shit and yeah, probably felt like he was losing control and saw this as his only way to keep control. So. Yeah. But we'll talk more about the different types after we talk about the stories. Yep. Different types of family annihilators. Last one we're going to talk about happened on Saturday, January 7th. So these all happened in January of 2023, right? But the first yes. one also yeah, January. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, they're all. Um, who was the first one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was early January. Yeah, they're all January. Yeah. Um, police were called to the Creighton home in High Point, North Carolina. It was seven o five a.m. and two people had run from the house screaming for help. When police forced their way into the home, they found five family members dead. Robert Creighton Jr., 45 years old, he fatally shot his wife and three children before dying from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The victims were identified as Athalia Creighton, 46, Kasem Creighton, 18, Nyla Creighton, 16, and Nasser Creighton, 10. The two people who were running, screaming from the house were one of the adult children of Athalia and Robert and that child's partner. I've read that child is in their kind of early 20s, so... A High Point police officer said that they had responded to the Creighton home five other times since 2014. Robert had also been involuntarily committed on January 3rd, 2022. So just a few days. Oh, no, that's last year. Um, On January 3rd, 2022. There's not too much info publicly available about that or any of the calls, really. So that's all. That's all we know. But shows that, again, something was going on. High Point Police Lieutenant Patrick Welsh said he was suffering from some mental illness. I can't speak to the reason under the involuntary commitment, but we do believe it was taken out by the family. So as some background info into Robert, like I mentioned earlier, he was an actor. According to his IMDB page, he played roles including Peachy in Marvel's Ant-Man. Um, he was football star Warren Sapp on NBC's Young Rock, and he had roles on HBO's Ballers, Disney's Safety, and lots of other things if you scroll through his um, acting credits. He's got a very distinctive-looking face. Like I feel he's very recognizable if you've seen him in a few things. Yeah. Um, Victor Joyner, the COO of the... Maltzberry Talent Agency spoke about his relationship with Robert. He said, we first met on set working on a project and remained tight since that period. Even as our career paths went in different directions, we stayed in contact. He was always a person to get sound advice when you were down. He would always have a word to lift you up. We last spoke before Thanksgiving when I wanted to share some good news with him. He listened to what I had to say, gave me a word of encouragement, and stated he was spending time with his wife, who he loved dearly. For what I know, over the years, he loved his wife and his children. Even when he traveled for work, he missed them. And if he was hanging with them, he would cut our talk short just so he could spend more time with them. Coco Hillary, a former Appalachian State football player, worked on a 2019 movie with Robert. And he said, we shot that movie before COVID. The pandemic has affected everyone differently. And you never know someone's circumstances. Mental health is serious. So the motive for the shooting is still unclear. There's not a lot of info out yet. Um, Lieutenant Welsh said, that's going to be a piece of the investigation. I've expressed this to the family. We may never know why. What goes through the hearts and minds of a person who would do this sometimes dies with them. We don't have any indication right now as to why. Athalia's family have issued a statement and says, Athalia, Athena Creighton, and her wonderful children, Nasir, Nyla, and Kazim, were a late to everyone they met. Their lives were taken too soon, yet their legacy lives on from the shores of Jamaica to the campus of NCA&T. Athalia Creighton, 46, is a Jamaican-American whose family originates from Kingston, Jamaica. She grew up in Miami and South Carolina. Athalia, or Art as she is affectionately called by family and friends, also lived in South Korea, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. 
successful in so many aspects of her life, Athalia was a veteran, a sergeant of the United States Army, and served honorably in the 2nd Infantry Division as a heavy equipment mechanic. In addition, she was a business owner, certified life coach, interior designer, and student at North Carolina A&T University. Most importantly, she was a dedicated mother to her children. Athalia poured her heart and soul into everyone she met, which is how she sustained so many friendships over decades. At her core, she was an amazing mother, committed wife, loving sister, and honorable daughter. She was the glue and made every effort to bond together her entire family. Um, So we'll put all that on the blog. There's a little bit more to it, but seems like seems like she had a lot going on. Like she was in the army. She had her degree. Had a lot of children. Yeah, like she. Yeah. But yeah, that's really all the info that's out about that one right now. Be interested to see if they find anything because it seems like people. It seems like there's some mental health crisis going on from what's been said yeah they are the three cases that we kind of discussed are quite different like it seems like from outwards and from records there was nothing to indicate that Darmish would do that but with these other Mm -hmm. two cases there may have been some red flags I guess you know you'd never likely think that this would actually happen to you no matter what you're kind of dealing with so just but with all the cases they had like multiple calls to the home previously by police which is interesting even like with the patel family in darmish yeah there's not any red flags that we know of i'm sure there is but like that that was still a thing yeah it's interesting i um just had a quick look too on the funeral home website for the creightons and so athalia is on there with all the children but robert isn't so i'm assuming his kind of um funeral services would be similar to michael hayden in terms of this private organized by his family it seems to be what generally happens sometimes in murder suicide cases the kind of annihilator is mentioned especially if it was just you know a snap incident but yeah i'd always Hmm. find it interesting to see what families do in that situation so i guess we'll just talk about some of our thoughts in general um i feel like we've talked about this in the last time we did it as to why this happens Uh, obviously it's different for everyone but it seems like to me anyways I feel like it's usually like two different scenarios of like a mental health crisis and I feel like it has a lot to do with society where men feel like they can't ask for help so everything kind of snowballs and gets worse and worse they feel like they can't ask for help like if men feel like they can't talk about their feelings Um, and then it just kind of, they get to this point where they feel like this is their only option, sadly, which is horrific. Or you have people more like Michael Haight, who just seem like an abusive piece of shit that want to control every aspect of their family's life. And once they start losing control with a divorce or police being involved for child abuse, they're like, well, I'm just going to take everyone out with me and fuck everyone. I was just thinking while you're saying that about kind of the differences between men and women who do this, because I feel like women do this almost as frequently as men, you know, or it seems to be with increasing frequently, but I feel frequency, but I feel a lot of times men do this for control. They'll kill the children and then themselves like over a custody issue, over like in Michael Haight, sounds like a control thing. Whereas I feel like the difference women probably don't do it as often for that reason a lot of the time for women it's a more mental health reason like postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis Um, and I feel like women maybe do it in a situation where they feel more desperate in terms of that they're going to lose the kids Um, yeah just kind of an observation that I've made as these cases seem to kind of keep happening yeah and a lot of times when the women do it I feel like they only kill the kids yeah well and, you know, don't get me wrong, there are women who are absolutely evil. Like I remember when we did the episode on Jalissa Thaler who shot the son while he was in the car seat. You know, yeah. there's cases like that. Um, but then I also think about the woman, Lindsay Clancy, we're going to do an episode on her in the next few weeks, who m- killed, well, she murdered the three kids, but she was suffering from postpartum, I guess, psychosis, postpartum depression. And she was only alone for 15 minutes while the husband went to get takeout and she killed the three kids and tried to kill herself in that time so i feel like too with men and how i was saying we feel like they can't ask for help it's also like an ego thing in a way of not being able to deal with the shame if it's because of something like if there's a financial issue like with the top 
the Tote family that all kind of seemed to start because of money. Um, him driving them into an insane amount of debt and that he was being investigated for fraud. Like he couldn't deal with the shame of that and like the shame his family would have for being disappointed in him. So to him, his best option was to just get rid of kill them. them all and fail at killing himself. I feel like the Robert Creighton case that we discussed today is a little bit different to the other two, but I could see that in the Darmish case and the hate case. Like Darmish was a doctor or is a doctor, I guess was a doctor now. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, we, and obviously we have no idea what the reasoning for this was. Maybe they were having marriage troubles. Maybe there was some type of financial issue, but that's kind of along the same thing. Maybe it was like, well, I can't. I, I don't know how to deal with this. I should be able to deal with this as a successful practicing doctor, you know, a successful person. And maybe he just really had no other way to deal with it. I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find it. And with Michael Haight too, you know, they've always spoken about how they were members of the church and members of the community. And I'm assuming probably part of the reason why he did this was that he didn't want what happened behind closed doors to come out. So that was his part of reasoning for doing what he did. Yeah. I feel like one – potential problem with the utah michael hate one is that they were pretty religious they were lds um and i've said before not all religions bad but i feel like bad people use religion to manipulate other people with a lot of religions like that they have it like the the man is the head of the house he makes all the decisions he's in charge all the family looks to him and listens to him and the kids and wife are submissive and do whatever they're told. So I yeah. feel like people like Michael Haight use that to their advantage and try to say it's like God's word that he is this asshole piece of shit and they just have to deal with it. I feel like too the fact that Torsha kind of missed the appointment with a crisis center shows the desperation that she felt um, mm-hmm. in trying to get out of this messed up relationship. And I have also read in some reports that her mother was actually living there to help her, just to kind of help her get things moving and, you know, get the process going. So, yeah, mm, she so was sad. trying hard to get out and he just wouldn't let them. Yeah, it's it's like not that it's even worse, but just makes you even more sad when, like, she was trying to get out because it was, like, that bad. Yeah. Um. But I did find something interesting from a book called Familicidal Hearts by Professor Neil Websdale, and it kind of goes along with what we're saying. But he basically said that pretty much all of the family annihilator types can be put into like two categories for the most part. So there's the livid coercive murderer, and this would be more so what Michael Haight was, or it says, is motivated by revenge and rage caused by control issues. He will show abusive tendencies towards his family that will serve as means of self-worth by exerting authority within the household. In most cases, the livid coercive individual faces failure in marriage due to abusive behavior, followed by the wife and children trying to leave. This will make him feel a lack of control and humiliation and lead to the killing of his family. And then the second one is the civil reputable murderer. And this is the opposite of the livid coercive one. And says his killings are motivated by genuine altruism. By killing his family members, he's saving them from the financial troubles and hardship. And he will almost always commit suicide. So that one is more like they feel like they're saving them from whatever problem has arisen versus the angry, abusive one. Hmm. And then there was... I can't remember if we talked about this in the last one. There was another study that analyzed family murder cases over the last 30 years and split them into four different types. So there's the self-righteous killer, which is like the Michael Haight one, like abusive, um, trying to stop a divorce, very dangerous, um, et cetera. Does it like out of a revenge, rage type thing. Then there's disappointed killers and says – The individual believes he was let down by those around him, most often his children and spouse. He might think that his family members are not good enough for him. He's unhappy with the choices his children have made um, that are not according to traditional or religious customs. Therefore, he kills the entire family in order to keep his reputation. There was another one called Anomic Killers. And says this killer considers the family an extension of his economic success. So as soon as this economic status breaks down, his family no longer serves the function, hence he'll kill them. And then there's paranoid killers where this individual believes that 
the wife and children are in immediate danger under some sort of threat and that they need protecting um, social services or the police or the legal system might be perceived as a threat toward the family as well. Hence, he kills the entire family in an attempt to protect them from the outside threat. So I feel like most of the ones that we've talked about in the past would fall in those categories, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, like a paranoid killer would probably be Matthew Coleman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's it for this episode. Um, all the cases and everything will be on the blog if you want to um, learn more about them. It's truecrimesocietyblog.com. You can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Society, and you can follow us on our personal accounts. Mine is um, Steph Sum underscore Olivia's is TCS Olivia. And as always, please rate and review and share the podcast, all the things you guys normally do. We love seeing the nice reviews. We love when you guys post the um, podcast to your Instagram stories. It's a big help to us. And check out our sponsors. They'll always be in the episode description. And I think that is it. I hope you guys were interested in this episode. Thank you all for listening and stay safe out there. Peace out. If you or someone you know is trapped in an abusive relationship, help is always available. Just call the National Domestic Violence Hotline on 1-800-799-SAFE. Thank you.